0: So my name is John Mark. I'm the youth pastor here at Calvary. Uh, if you were here last week, you you heard me preach through the screen. I wasn't able to be here in person. Uh, and I'll, I'll tell you why in a second. I was I was actually at the hospital with my daughter. My daughter is two, almost three now. And we were at the hospital with her. We brought her in uh, last Thursday, a week, a week ago. I'm very tired. We got home yesterday. Okay, we were there for eight days. Um, but it's just an incredible... Uh, testimony to how great God is, and I'll, and I'll explain in a second. We went in uh, last week, and I have a picture of what she looked like when we brought her in. Uh, she was, you know, very uh, dehydrated. There was all these things going on, and she just looked so sad. Like, look how sad she looks in that picture. And we, we brought her in. We weren't sure what was going on, and all of a sudden, she had all these symptoms, and there was just this crazy amount of symptoms, and everything, and the doctors really had no idea what was going on. And, and then, you know, as the week progressed, they kept doing all these tests. They did an, a crazy amount of tests on her, and finally, they, 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 they actually never came to a conclusion of what was actually going on. Um, but the crazy thing was, I actually, I posted about it, and if you follow me on social media, I just don't post ever. I just, I I'd never find a good reason to post anything. But I posted on, I think it was Tuesday morning, uh, and by Wednesday morning, the reports came back, and our doctor came in and was like, I just don't know what's going on, like, We don't know what this is, we don't know why things aren't progressing further and we don't really know what's happening with this situation, but she seems to be getting better on her own. And so there's a picture of her on Saturday, yesterday morning. Uh, You can just see the energy is back. You know, she began to get better and uh, she's home now, she's happy, she's screaming at us and demanding of us still. You know, she had a button on her bed to call the nurse, and whenever she wanted something, we'd press the button. And so now that's me at home. So, you know, just, you know, having, I'm still praying that God gives me patience to deal with this as we dealt with all week. But as you can imagine, if you ever had, if you've ever been sick or you've ever had family members sick and you've been in the hospital, you get home and it's like this sense of relief, but now this sense of just deep exhaustion and tiredness for our family. So if you can keep on praying for us. We have follow-up in a few weeks with sick kids to just check on her heart. So if you can keep on praying, that'd be amazing. But I just want to say thank you because your prayers and all the support, the people who dropped things off and were just saying we were praying for you and stopped by and all those things, they just meant so much to us. And I truly believe that God intervened in the situation, that she helped her out. It, I truly do believe that. And so it's amazing to see her happy again and, and screaming at us. And now, I, now it's going to be good. It's going to be good. It's going to be happy. She's healthy. That's all that matters. So this week we are launching a new series. Last week we closed our series on the core, and this week we launched our series on 1 John. This is a book of the Bible that I feel probably doesn't get spoken about that often. A book of the Bible that's probably not often a number one choice off the shelf when you're reading your Bible Usually, you know, I know for myself, I go to the Gospels, I stay in Genesis, I love the narrative in the beginning, I, I, I go to the Paul's letters, but then there's these three books of John that we kind of pass over, and this is what we're going to be looking at with you guys for the next few weeks. A couple of our staff, a couple of guests we're going to be sharing, and we're going to be walking through each of the chapters of this book. First John has three primary concerns, all right? There's three primary things in this book that we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks. The number one is that Jesus is the Messiah, right? We just sang about this. The number one primary concern that John is trying to communicate is that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus was fully God, fully human, sent by the Father to die as the perfect sacrifice for our sins so that we can all be in a right relationship with God. You see, there's this this moment we're going to go into what these false prophets have left this church and they are saying that this is not the case. So John speaks to this. We see another primary concern is that there's this deep love for one another that is is needed as the body of Christ. There's this deep love for one another, for our brothers and sisters, especially those in need, and that we have to be known by our love as Christians. And this, this third primary concern is that our relationship between sin and being God's children that we all struggle with, how do we wrestle with it? How do we wrestle with this desire of the world and also this desire to walk in close relationship with God? You know, this book is written like a letter, or it's not written like a letter. Actually, it's, it's listed as a letter, but it's really written as a sermon. It's written as a sermon, and there's two main themes that the author is trying to communicate. He's trying to communicate, one, that God is light. He's trying to communicate that God is light, and then he's also trying to communicate that God is love. And over the next few weeks, we're going to unpack those with you guys, and there's just so much truth in this. You know, who wrote this letter and why is that important? So this morning, really my job is to help bring you up to speed on what's going on here, what's happening in this book, why is this book important to us, who wrote it, what's the context of what's going on here? Because if we can understand some of those things, it brings to life everything else written in the book. When you don't know the context, when you just open it up and read it, it can be a little confusing. So what my job is to help you understand what's going on here, who wrote it, who's it written to, what's happening, so that as we work through this series, everything else kind of makes sense and comes together. So who wrote this book? This is actually the only book, the only letter in the New Testament that doesn't start with a greeting from the author. Usually it says who it was and then they go on and read it like a letter, but this is the only book that doesn't actually start that way. See, scholars assume this was written to a community of believers, a church like us, uh, about 40 years after the death of Jesus and his resurrection. This community is known to the author. That's all we really know is that the author knew this community deeply. He calls them dear children in chapter 2. He talks about how these false prophets defected from us, meaning that he was a part of it. This is the only letter, right, like I said, that doesn't have a formal greeting. And in, in the, the idea behind that is that the, the author knows this community so well that he doesn't actually need a greeting because he's their pastor. They know who he is. They know what he's all about. He doesn't need to, he's not from outside of who they are. He is one of them. So there's this idea that, okay, well, he's probably their pastor. He probably oversees them very directly. So there, there's no introduction needed here. You know, many of the commentators and scholars come to this conclusion that the author of 1 John is the same author of the Gospel of John, John the Apostle who walked with Jesus as one of his close disciples. You know, as we try to identify who wrote it, we see striking similarity in subject matter and grammar style between the letters and the book of John. There's all these things that we see that are similar, and that's one of the reasons we can pull together that this is who it is. The author of Each Has the Same Love of Opposites. He uses a lot of hyperbole. He speaks of things in big contrast. And so this is, I, I kind of love how he writes. There's either, there's one way that's right and there's one way that's wrong and there's no in between. This is kind of how I usually preach. If, you're, if you hear me preach, I love it. And there's probably a reason why. It's because I'm Pentecostal and I believe that the eminent return of Christ is there, that he's, he's wanting to come back. And this is what, this is what motivates John as a communicator that Jesus is coming back, so we have to decide. We have to choose that we are either children of light or children of darkness, that we either follow truth or we follow falsehood. There's this clear separation in his writing in 1 John, but also in the Gospel of John. And we're going to look at some of these together over the next few weeks and identify what it means to be uh, in the light versus the darkness, to, to pursue life or pursue death, to pursue truth or pursue falsehood, love versus hate. We're going to pursue all those things. You know, see, we, we see right at the beginning of chapter 1, the author speaking as if they had walked firsthand with Jesus, as if they had been there with him, as if they knew him personally. You know, they vouch for this message in this, in this book from their personal experience, the revelation of Jesus the Messiah, verified not just by faith, but by sight by hearing by touch they touch on all these things in the very first introduction of 1 John you know after we look at this it's really it's safe for us to assume that the author is indeed the apostle John and he is writing to a church he directly oversees you know he understands personally what they're going through and he's trying to bring correction in a way that doesn't condemn them even though he uses these extremes. He's trying not to condemn them, but empower the listeners to turn back to God in his ways. And this is a gift that John has in his teaching, that he can make you feel convicted in one moment, but also feel empowered that you have a path to the Father, that you have a path to to change your life and to pursue a relationship with God. It's incredible, and something I'm working on personally. Understanding that the author is John why this is important at all, understanding that the author is John, it helps make sense of this whole book. It helps us make sense of the introduction that we're going to read through in a moment in 1 John 1, verse 1 through 4. It helps everything kind of come together here. So let's read this together the beginning. 1 John 1, 1 to 4, it should be on the screen. It says this, it says, That which was from the beginning... And the beginning meaning God the Father and Jesus the Son. That's what he's referencing here. He's saying, that which was from the beginning, God, which we, we meaning John himself personally and the other disciples, have heard, right? We've heard him, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, being Jesus. So Jesus appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you. We proclaim to you the next generation of Jesus followers, all right? This is who we're proclaiming to, that the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Fellowship, this word here is a word that you've probably heard spoken about before. It's this Greek word koinonia, which means full participation, which means full participation. It means relationship. It means that this this life that we're pursuing, this fellowship that we can have with the Father is not just this understanding of who he is, but it's an actual deep participation. It's a full relationship that we can have with him and a relationship that John has experienced firsthand. So he's speaking from this this personal story of, hey, I'm not just telling you about this. I'm saying I've walked this. I've seen the God of the Bible through the life of Jesus. And because we know Jesus, we can know our Father and you can have a relationship with him because he sent Jesus to us. And this is this introduction that he's bringing us into this idea that this relationship, this full participation is available to all of us. John has seen Jesus. He's heard Jesus. He has felt Jesus. You know, this is him reminding the people of his personal experience and also happens to be a direct, almost a direct reference to the gospel of John's opening lines. We'll read that together. So the gospel of John begins in almost the exact same way. And it's kind of cool. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. This is referencing that Jesus was with God at the beginning of time in Genesis. This is a reference back to Genesis. He's saying that Jesus was there at the beginning. Through God, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You know, it's kind of cool that it starts off this way and that even the first, very first theme here of light and darkness is brought to life in the Gospel of John because that's exactly where John goes first in, his, in this book of 1 John. So why is this book written and why does it matter to us today? All right, so this book, 1 John, was written because false prophets have left this community, meaning there were people in their church that were sitting in their pews week to week or in their house or however it was that had left the community. And they didn't just leave and disappear. They left trying to bring people with them. They left trying to bring all these people with them because they were calling into question the teachings of Jesus. They were leaning back on their Jewish beliefs that, that were actually the Christians were at odds with, the people who followed Jesus closely. They were at odds with them. They didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And so these false prophets are leaving saying, I don't, I don't think this Jesus guy is who he says he is. I think we need to go do our own thing. I think you all need to follow us. You know, as you read this book, we can notice what John says about false prophets, and we're going to look at this a little bit deeply. He calls them antichrists, and I, I, I luckily don't have to teach you about that one. I think that's Cameron, so that'll be fun. But as we read this, we see that what John says about false prophets. He says this. He says in chapter two, it's clear that they have left this community trying to lead them astray. Then he says that these false prophets are saying that their teachings came from the Holy Spirit. They're saying, we heard from the Holy Spirit that Jesus is not the Messiah, so therefore you must listen to us and follow us. But John, I love what John says in in chapter 2, verse 20, which we'll hear in a few weeks. But he says this, he says that it doesn't matter what their spirit says because you have access to the spirit now too. Remember, these people were relying on the preacher, on the pastor, on the priest to be their person who connected with God. But now they have personal access to this relationship. So John is saying, don't worry about what they're saying. You test it. You speak to God. You have fellowship with him. You have a relationship with him. So what is the Spirit telling you personally? I love that he uses this term. So you see how he, he's convicting, but he's also empowering them, saying it's okay because you have access to this. You know, we can assume these false prophets deny Christ as Messiah, and they probably fail to love each other. And they, especially because we talk about it deeper in a few chapters, they fail to love the people who are most in need. They don't love the, the brother and the sister who's at need. They actually still see them as less than. And this is a problem. Especially when we're supposed to be known by our love for one another. You know so why are these themes so important and these false prophets teachings so bad that John feels the need to rebuke them. See I love John doesn't just, just rebuke everything. He doesn't rebuke every little issue. He rebukes the ones that matter. He rebukes the ones that go against our core beliefs. And what he's talking about this this all the things he's going through are our core beliefs as Christians. You see the entire biblical story from the beginning uh, stands on this foundation that we serve a good God, like we just sang about, who loves us so much that he will work out a plan to remove sin so that each and every one of us can enter into a right relationship with him. Despite the way we reject him on, on, every single day. Despite the way that we choose to, to separate ourselves from him sometimes and we choose the path of darkness sometimes and we choose sin even if we feel like we're sinless and we'll talk about that. Despite all those things, he chooses to be in fellowship with us, in a deep relationship with us. You know, this story of redemption is crucial to grasp. And the reality that God came down to earth through his son Jesus to pay the price for our sins is integral. To understand God's unfailing, unconditional love for us as his children. Jesus being the Messiah is central to our beliefs and to stray away from this understanding would ultimately lead people to an understanding uh, of God that doesn't really make sense. It would, wouldn't really help us finish this story. You know, this doesn't really show God's love if we don't believe that, that he actually made a way. How can we understand God's unfaithful, or sorry, oof, oof, unfaithful. I'm tired today, guys. His faithful, his unconditional, unfailing love. That's why John is speaking this, to warn his people and to remind them who they are, to remind them what they've seen and heard and to push forward in faith and to do their best to live a life that honors Jesus. This letter is relevant to us because I think we all have the same issues that these people in this church had 2,000 years ago. We haven't figured out the solution, but we have the same problem. And the problem that they face, that we face, is sin. The problem that they walk through, that we walk through today, is sin. And they had had the same need of a solution for their sin as we do today. You know, when we come to the understanding that Jesus died for our sin, it transforms our life. Well, it should. It should transform our life. It should change who we are and how we act and how we live. It transforms our lives because we have a way to deal with our sin problem. But if we don't, if we leave our sin undealt, It actually causes us to live in pain. and actually causes us to live a life that is not what God intends for us. See, chapter 1 goes on to use the contrast of light and darkness like we saw in John at the end of his introduction in the book of the Gospel of John. It says this in in verse 5. It says, this is the message we have heard from Jesus and declare to you. This is the message. God is light. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So there's a lot there to unpack. And we'll start it off today and then we'll wrap it up next week with with Cameron. But here is an important element of this first message that we hear John trying to proclaim. That God is light. God is light. And if we want to participate, if we want to be in that koinonia relationship where we have a deep understanding of who he is and he understands who we are, then we actually have to walk in the light. But what does it mean to walk in the light? What does it mean to live in the light, right? These are just big words that we're throwing out there. Really, what John is is trying to to communicate throughout this whole book is that walking in the light is just keeping Jesus' commands. You know, the commands that we see Jesus give his disciples during the Last Supper, that is a command that is not just a new command, it's an old command from Genesis and Exodus and these old stories that he brings back to life when he's speaking to disciples. This command that we have to love one another as he has loved us. This, this idea of love is so deeply entangled in these, in these five chapters and so important, so crucial to who we are as Christians. So what does it mean to walk in the light? It means that we keep Jesus' commands. We're going to look at what those commands are in the next few weeks. But listen, John understands that walking in the light is hard. He understands that it's hard, so we have, and so we have to come to this understanding that we are going to fail. We have to come to an understanding each of us person that we are going to fail, that we have a problem, and the problem is sin. You know, no matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter what capacity you serve in, how much you do for Jesus, doesn't matter, you have the same problem as I do. Sin. Verse 8 says, If we claim you without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. All of us struggle. So we can just admit that we can all take a breath of fresh air, understanding that we are not better than anyone else in this room, that we all have an issue that we're dealing with, and that we actually have a way to deal with that issue i love that the kingdom of god there's these people the bible project if you don't know who they are highly recommend you you watch their videos if you're ever under reading your bible and have no idea what's going on watch a bible project video and you still won't know no i'm just kidding no it will help you understand but they 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 do it in such a way that is so clear and so helpful with visuals and audio and it's so amazing but i love the way they identify the kingdom of god as being this upside down kingdom meaning that what we do, what our world would say about, you know, hierarchy of people and all these things and the way that the kingdom on earth would, would articulate itself, the kingdom of God is the opposite. It's this upside-down kingdom where there's a level playing field for every Christian. There's a level playing field for every believer, even if you've been a Christian for one hour or a hundred years. It's this level playing field where no one is greater than the next person to them. Your competition is no one in this room. It's actually just you, who you were yesterday. And I love how they, they bring this to life. You see, God knew the only way to remove the darkness that we face, that we struggle with daily, is by making a way for us to walk with him. By, and he is the perfect source of light. God is light. He's this perfect source. And he knows for us to deal with our darkness, we have to walk close to that light. We have to be in relationship with him. So how do we get access to that light? He goes on to say in verse 9, if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You see, Jesus, all he is looking for us is to obey his commands. And his commands is to confess our sins when we mess up. Our job is to realize that we've messed up, get up anyways, seek forgiveness, because he is just and faithful. Continuing on our journey to follow his commands, that's all he's looking for us, each and every single one of us. Whether we mess up a lot in a day or a little bit, he's looking for us to say, I'm sorry. You are light. I want to be close to that light. So God, please help me make a way that I can do that. You see, through Jesus' death and resurrection, we already have victory over this world This is a theme that John is going to be communicating over the next few weeks that we already live in victory. So this darkness that we face, we actually have victory over it. We can choose to not live in it. We have a choice that we can live in the light. We have to love the light and not the world, becoming more like Jesus every day so that we can walk in that light. Being known by our love for each other as Christians. These things, these themes of light and love we will dig into over the next few weeks. I'm going to invite the band up. You guys can come up now. See, this book shows us how to live in the light and allows us to walk in the freedom that the truth gives us, that the light makes available to us. You know, as we read through this book over the next few weeks, we're going to look at chapter by chapter. And I, I would highly, highly encourage you to read this book as you go on this week, as you every single week for the next five weeks, I would encourage you to read a chapter a day maybe. Or read two chapters a day. Or spread it out over the course of seven days. It's a short book. Five chapters, that's it. And my encouragement for you is to read along with it. Get to know it. Understand it. Write down your questions. Circle your questions. And come on Sundays hoping that your questions are answered. And if they're not, ask away. Let's, let's, let's get to the root of what this book is about, why it matters to us, what it means for us today. And I would encourage you to do that. You see, I think sometimes when it comes to reading our Bibles, we, we don't do it because we don't understand it. We, we open it up, we read something, and it's like, this doesn't really make sense to me, so I'm just going to put that back. I, I did my job, I read it, but like, I don't really know what this means. You know, our hope through this series is that we can help you identify what this book means What is happening here? What's going on? What does it mean for you 2,000 years later? You know, there's been all these studies done about reading your Bible and about how do we help people read their Bible more? And they came to this really deep conclusion that if you want to read your Bible more, you just got to start reading it to begin with. It's like super deep. But they realized that if people just start reading it and start understanding it, then they'll want to read more of it because what happens is it actually transforms their lives. And so our hope is that with this series, that we can help you understand this book, but also inspire you to want to understand more, to inspire you to understand how do we articulate, how do we understand what's going on here? What are some of the main things we're looking for to help us get to that place of understanding? So I'm going to pray for you guys, and we're going to sing a song together. Um, But I would highly, highly encourage you guys to follow along. This week, we'll, we'll share some things on social media that maybe will prompt you to read, so follow along. But I encourage you to take the responsibility on yourselves. To not just be here on a Sunday and that be your only intake, but to actually join us so that you come here prepared to hear what it is God has already been pulling on your heart. So let's pray together. God, we thank you that you sent Jesus. First and foremost, we just thank you so much that you made a way, that you are such a good, loving God. That even though you are light and we live in this dark world, that you've made a way for us to get to the light because that will make everything better. God, thank you that you want to be in a deep relationship with us. That you don't want us just to serve you, but you want us to know you. So God, as we read these chapters together over the next few weeks, would you help us understand what you're saying? Would your spirit prompt us to be bring these things into our lives and to to live in a way that honors you. And God, would you help us come to this understanding personally, each and every one of us, where we believe deeply in our hearts that you love us deeply, that you care about us, that you want to make a way for us despite what we do that we feel pushes us away from you. So God, we love you. We thank you for what you've done in our lives. We thank you for what you're doing even right now in our midst. And we thank you for what you're going to be doing in the future. God love you so much. Amen.